0: Welcome to All About Literacy. We've invited Janelle Williams to this podcast episode to speak with us today about disciplinary literacy. Janelle Williams is a literacy consultant at Oakland Intermediate School District. Janelle joined the Leadership and School Improvement Union at Oakland Schools in 2017 following 18 years of experience in public schools at, listen to this, the elementary, middle, and high school levels. She holds an education specialist in leadership degree and a master's degree in reading and language arts through Oakland University. She serves as the co-chair of the Disciplinary Literacy Task Force for the state of Michigan.
1: So Janelle, welcome to the podcast. So good to have you. For the next 20-ish minutes week, we will take turns asking you some questions. How does that sound? That sounds great. Awesome. All right, let's start with the first one. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what sparked your passion for disciplinary literacy. Sure, absolutely. As was mentioned, I began my education career in 1999, and I started by teaching middle school English language arts and social studies in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And after several years, I was transferred to teaching at an elementary school in the same district. And that was a major transition for me. For sure. I taught upper elementary all subjects for several years before I accepted an offer to serve as an international baccalaureate middle years coordinator at one of our middle schools. And what this meant is that I was helping to coordinate all of the curriculum, instruction, assessment, and continuous improvement across all three middle schools in the district and the ninth and 10th grade at the high school. So sixth through 10th grade teachers of all content areas. And serving in this capacity really provided me with an important lens, the needs and the values that are shared across the disciplines at the secondary level. And not just ELA, but math, science, social studies, physical education, design, world languages, and visual and performing arts, so a real wide range of teachers, and that carried with me as I transitioned to Oakland Schools, which is an intermediate school district, so we support schools all across Oakland County, and I brought that kind of disciplinary perspective As I joined the statewide disciplinary literacy task force and took up the work around the disciplinary literacy essential practices.
0: Thanks, Chanel. Our students, Erica and I teach students who represent all that wide range of disciplines, and it's something that both energizes us and also keeps us up at night as we think about making sure we have examples and that we have situations within teaching contexts that speak to all of our students, representing everything from music to art to English and math and so on. You are the right person for us to be talking to. Thank you so much for being here. One thing that Erica and I ask our students to read and to become a little bit familiar with is Michigan's Literacy Essentials, and I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind before we get into talking about disciplinary literacy and how the state of Michigan and how you all on the task force are thinking about it, can you take a step back and just explain to people who maybe are out of state or people who are new to even thinking about initiatives coming out of the state and the Department of Education. What should we know, in particular? What could should or could beginning teachers know about Michigan's literacy essentials?
1: Sure, this is it's really exciting. As I talk with people around uh, the country again and again, they say that Michigan is really at the forefront of the conversation around literacy because what we have is a suite of documents that are research-based that articulate what needs to be happening from birth through grade 12 in order for us to really systemically improve literacy for all students. And so that really provides us with a unique opportunity to have a conversation across the state and really leverage the resources that we have to move things forward. So it really is a unique, special thing that we have these documents, but the real challenge becomes moving from documents into reality. And we know that involves professional learning.
0: Go Mitten State. I just want to say, proud to know that we are among the literacy leaders as we think about this. And Janelle, love that systematic approach and something we talk about with your students is this isn't something you as an individual teacher can do alone. We hope that your building is embracing a literacy initiative and truly we need collaboration and I love your comment about leveraging resources. How do we do that? Because that is that brings up about sustainable change and not just one-offs or these um, sort of one effort in time. So thank you for that.
1: Janelle, could you talk about, one, I'm interested to know what excites you about disciplinary literacy approaches, but I think it would be helpful for listeners to um, understand how you think about disciplinary literacy. So if somebody said, well, what's that? What do you mean by disciplinary literacy? Could you define that first and explain, maybe give a couple of examples and then talk about what excites you about using that approach? Sure, yeah. For the previous question, I was talking a little bit about the suite of documents in general, but we know that for 6th through 12th grade teachers, we have a very unique document. These essential practices for disciplinary literacy instruction really are are articulated practices for all 6th through 12th grade teachers, and they go beyond those general conversations about general strategies that we can apply throughout the school day often things we often say, like things like talking back to the text, right? is a content area approach, which is absolutely beneficial to students, but that's really not what we're targeting with these essential practices for disciplinary literacy instruction. We really think about these practices as the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae in that we need to have all of those foundational literacy pieces moving forward and we also need to thinking, we need to be thinking about kind of the unique literacy needs in each discipline and honoring that. Um, so in the document itself, we have a set of 10 practices that are we call it the generic practices that could be um, used in, in you know, a variety of content areas. And then each of those 10 instructional practices is interpreted through that disciplinary lens. So an example might be when we think about essential practice two, that calls for teachers to provide diverse texts and abundant reading opportunities. And so if we look in the math section of the document, it's going to take that general idea and and say, what do we mean? What is text in a mathematics classroom? And what does abundant reading look like in a secondary math classroom? And in that section of the document, it would have those kind of discipline-specific examples of instructional practice. And we know that ELA, math, science, and social studies each have their own sections in the document, and that's not to say that the other content areas aren't valued. In fact, we often say that our our PE, our design, our visual and performing arts teachers are some of the best people to be engaging in this conversation on disciplinary literacy because they're the ones that are having their students do the discipline on a daily basis. So we offer the opportunity that they can take those 10 generic practices and then interpret them through their own disciplinary lens. And so I guess when to your question of what really excites me, I think that it really provides us with an opportunity to both have a common school-wide conversation, right? If we're talking about leveraging literacy, it needs to be across the school day. So we have that opportunity, while at the same time, we're really honoring the uniqueness of each discipline. We're really saying there's a reason that you became a mathematics teacher at the secondary level. You have passion for this area. You have expertise in this area, and we're not telling you to set that aside. So that common conversation and discipline specific at the same time, is just really exciting. And We also know that as people are moving through teacher preparation programs, the standards from one discipline to the other are very different. And so what happens is we have people graduating and they're each graduating with maybe some different ideas of what good teaching looks like, which makes it even harder to have a common conversation as a school. And then we know that once we get into middle and high schools, often the work and the conversations are very siloed. You have your departments in many cases, the math department with the math head and things like that. And so it really becomes more difficult to have those common conversations that can move things forward. Using the document as a tool to support those conversations, both within departments and disciplines and across the school day, is is really exciting from a school improvement, continuous improvement standpoint but also knowing that new teachers don't just have to go to the, their department to talk about good teaching, that they can have a wide variety of colleagues that they can reach out to and have a conversation, because now we have similar vocabulary and similar ways of, of thinking about it.
0: I think my favorite part of that literacy essentials for disciplinary literacy document, that tool that you describe, is that there are these unique sections for the four different areas. And I love that because sometimes as we talk, we speak different languages within our disciplines. And so it's we can establish this common vocabulary and then we can dive deep into what specifically it looks like to think and create and act as a mathematician versus a journalist or whatever. So I'm grateful for that. As you talk about and as you think about working with teachers, you've described sort of talking within departments and across departments. Are there any examples you could share with us of uh, some aha moments you have seen with teachers who've embraced and dug deep into these concepts and then changed their practice? Maybe you've heard or maybe teachers you've worked with directly, but what are some aha moments in your work with teachers after they've learned more about disciplinary literacy approaches?
1: Sure. Yeah. Lot to choose from. And what's really interesting is these conversations aren't just taking place with teachers. They're also taking place with consultants, experts that are supporting teachers in areas. So I think that the exciting thing is that we're all learning and growing together and we're all having those aha moments side by side, which, you know, is exciting and maybe different from how we've approached things in the past. So I'd say um, probably one of the top contenders for aha moments is when we spend some time defining what we mean by literacy and what we mean by text. Those are two biggies. And often what comes out is that people often think of the term literacy as meaning only reading and writing. That's the automatic response that we often get And in reality, we know there are many kinds of literacy. We have media literacy, racial literacy, critical literacy, right? All different ways of thinking about this one term. And so we unpack that in our professional learning and maybe disrupt some of our initial assumptions about that term literacy. And instead we try and broaden it and we try and make it a plural it's literacies. And in our specific context, in a secondary school context, we're really thinking about what are the ways of knowing, thinking, reading, writing, and communicating within different courses that students will experience and then also beyond. And so that's really a a powerful conversation to have to broaden how people think about the term literacy. And then we get to thinking about the word text uh, because you really can't approach these essential practices without addressing that term. When we ask people what their initial assumptions are about that word text, the knee-jerk reaction is usually something about written words on a page. And then we just provide some additional examples and we pull them from the different disciplines. We pull both teacher-created and student-produced texts and unpack that what we really are talking about here when we say text is anything that can be understood by the receiver. And so we get into how street signs can be text or the clothing that someone chooses to wear or their hairstyle, right? If it's broadcasting a message that's going to be understood by someone receiving it, we're going to call that text. And suddenly that means that we can bring people into the conversation that may not have originally considered that they help students engage with text in their classroom. So in following up just thinking about that for a minute and I'm trying to frantically write some notes because I and the thing that our listeners can't see is that, Janelle, as you're talking, both Deb and I are often nodding our heads, I'm giving you thumbs up, because a lot of what you're sharing is is actively resonating with the work that we already do, not only as scholars and researchers, but also as we do with teacher, as teacher educators with our pre-service teachers. And so we do want them to understand that text is more than just a book on a shelf or an email and that if you said there's multiple literacies and Deb and I often talk with our students about the idea that it's not only the practices are reading and writing and listening and speaking and viewing and visually representing and performing, but then you're right, there are approaches, right? So a critical literacy approach, thinking about things like critical race theory thinking about ways of approaching a text helps us inform or think about the messages we're receiving or the ones we're giving, as you said, too, which I think is really helpful. So in contrast to that, though, I imagine, given the professional development that you lead and the work that you have uh, the opportunity to do with teachers, that there are times probably where teachers often might come to you and say, yes, but, or there's this barrier. So could you talk about some of the barriers that teachers have expressed to you when, they, when you're telling them about disciplinary literacy Helping them understand the difference between content area literacy strategies versus disciplinary literacy approaches. What are some of the barriers that teachers encounter or frustrations they experience and then how do you help them move beyond those? Yeah, for sure. Um, you can't go through any sort of, of change without there being a little bit of friction or struggle and so I think that if we um, weren't experiencing any of that in our professional learning, then that would probably signal that we weren't going in the right direction. So we always anticipate some of those barriers. I will say that most of the barriers that we hear from teachers are systemic ones, as opposed to being limitations on the teachers themselves. Examples would be teachers identify that they need to have more time, regular time, protected time with their colleagues to make sense of not only the essential practices document, but also all of the rich research and resources around disciplinary literacy. They need dedicated time for professional learning that they can identify and name based on the needs of their department or their discipline. They need support around how to actually engage with collaborative inquiry cycles with their peers, because you can't make the shift from a department to a professional learning community without some intentional support. Just changing the name doesn't mean that teachers feel that they've been adequately supported in how to do that. And then they just need a sustained focus. They need to not have this popcorn approach that we've had, where one year we focus on one thing, another year we focus on the next thing. So all those things really point to the system and leadership. And for that reason, we, with our statewide approach, are really trying to build the capacity of leaders to understand what needs to happen with the system in order to protect what teachers need, which is that time and support to really make this work happen. So that's one, one big barrier is just the system, which I think is true no matter what sort of change you're talking about. And then another thing that teachers identify is that they need curricular resources to support the shift. And when I say curricular resources, I'm not necessarily talking about lockstep pacing guides because when you read the essential practices, you can very quickly see how uh, a lockstep curriculum would not really work with this approach. But But they do need resources. They need to have quality resources that will support moving toward problem and inquiry-based approaches. And so that means access to a wide variety of different kinds of texts. It means not having an outdated social studies textbook that was last updated in in 1983. It means having those things at their fingertips that can serve as a, a jumping off point and so that the disciplinary literacy practices are being brought into it Teachers don't have time or energy to write full curriculum. We know that. We know that there are quality curricula out there that really support this move toward problem and inquiry-based approaches, and, and that's a piece that we would really advocate that systems think about and, and plan for with teachers as they're thinking about taking up this work.
0: Thanks, Janelle, for that. For teachers, we're thinking of our own pre-service teachers, but teachers in general who maybe want to learn more about disciplinary literacy or want to just invest in their own learning. I understand your comments are so good and true about systemic approaches and support, right, for those. But if there are individual teachers who want to learn more, what are your favorite go-to resources that you recommend? Text broadly defined. Yeah, so we have a lot of things.
1: There's just so
0: much out there.
1: So our Disciplinary Literacy Task Force has really been hard at work the past year and a half or so, and we've curated what we call resource hubs, and we have a professional learning one that is more for people that are leading the learning, and then we've created a resource hub for ELA, math, science, and social studies, and essentially they are a set of curated resources for each of the 10 practices that have been vetted by Uh, The content experts in our task force and the great news around this is when teachers look in these resource hubs they're going to see some familiar resources and feel affirmed that some of the work that they've already been starting and engaging in is is moving them exactly in the right direction. And then on our our website, so the resource hubs are on our website. We also have a nice introductory webinar that's really great for people that are just starting to think about this. We have a one pager, which is wonderful for communicating with central office and leaders. We do have a newly adopted school-wide essentials document, which speaks to those systems pieces that need to be addressed in order to really support teachers. And then we always include all our upcoming professional learning opportunities. And so if you go to any of those things or go to the Professional Learning Resource Hub, you'll also uh, be able to see some articles that we recommend. We do book reviews, we have some protocols and slide decks, examples of presentations that we've done throughout the
0: state. So lots of great things there. You could spend a lot of time on our website. Janelle, we'll be sure to provide links to the things that you mentioned in our show notes for this episode. So thank you for that. I think we could uh, spend a week probably exploring all of those resources. We're excited personally to explore more of them as well as to recommend them to our students. Thank you.
1: So in terms of thinking about where you work a lot with current practicing teachers, which is one of the things that you are talking about in terms of the um, professional development that you lead and the, just the role that you play, that's largely who you're interacting with, my guess is. That being said, Deb and I work with both in-service, but we happen to work with a lot of pre-service teachers. So for those pre-service teachers listening to this episode, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, it's been a few years since I've been a beginning teacher, but it's still very vivid in my mind. Um, walking into that middle school hallway and being quite sure that the students were going to eat me alive. So (laughs) I can go back there very easily. I think I'll just say that as beginning teachers, it it really is easy to doubt yourself at times, especially if you're surrounded by uh, people that have been in the quote unquote business for a long time and, and feel very confident in their opinions. But I would say if you keep in mind that the most important thing you can do as an educator is to develop strong relationships with every single one of your students. And I know we we see that and we hear that, but it really is true. And if you do that, I can promise that you won't go wrong. If you're doing things like listening to your students, asking them questions, asking them what they think, turning over some of the ownership of learning to them, you, you won't go wrong. I honestly, I've never met a student who did not want Learning to be meaningful and who did not want to feel like they had a good relationship with their teacher. And just personally, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for choosing to go into this profession. It is, I think, a wonderful, exciting journey. And we really are lucky to have you all the insights that you bring, your energy, your passion. So thank you for choosing to go into education.
0: I feel like we need a big round of applause or something like that. That was like a good pep talk. Thank you. Thank you for ending it, particularly in that enthusiastic and um, hospitable way. I love that approach to thinking about welcoming in new people into um, our profession, the crazy profession that it is. As we bring our episode to a close, Janelle, our tradition at the end is to ask our guests a fun question. And this question fits really well with disciplinary literacy in that something that Eric and I have emphasized and continue to emphasize a lot with our students is the importance of acknowledging, affirming, and drawing on students out of school literacy practices. And I love what you said earlier about connecting with your students and listening to them. And I think when we do that, we often are amazed at the rich literacy lives they live outside of our classes. And as we think about being insiders and more experts of particular communities of practice, sometimes it's our discipline, sometimes it's other realms, Our question for you is what is an out of school literacy community or practice that you um, are an insider to, one that you enjoy, maybe a surprising one, maybe a fun one or an obvious one. But what's a hobby, sport, cultural, religious, ethnic group, something that you are part of that you are very literate in or learning to become literate in and are enjoying? What a great question.
1: I was a little nervous when you let me know there was going to be a surprise one, but this is great. I'll take it. I would say that I am continuing to develop my literacy in the practice of yoga. It's something that I started uh, about 20 years ago,
0: and it was something
1: that I started in response to some of the pressures of being a beginning teacher and knowing that I needed to do something to sustain myself. And there's a whole, just rich variety of vocabulary and ways of knowing that are are valued in that community. And it's such a welcoming community that I never saw myself as an athletic person. I certainly have never been on an athletic team or felt like I had the, the, the traits that would ever cause me to be, you know, picked first for a team. And so to feel that there's this community that is very athletic in their own way, but also very welcoming and non-competitive just hit me the right way. And it's something I, I really value and love sharing with other people as well.
0: You know, that was an awesome answer. And I love your, how your comments speak directly to identity. And as we think about, and this is a passion of mine, I know Erica's as well for disciplinary literacy is we want all of our students to feel like they could be members of our different disciplines. And sometimes they don't for the very reasons you described, we bring these past histories and past identity experiences with us. And sometimes we think we could never be part of that. And yet the whole drive behind disciplinary literacy is to say, come on in and let us support you as you learn the ways of being and knowing and thinking that are part of this. So that was fantastic answer. Thanks, Janelle.
1: So that concludes this episode. Janelle, we want to thank you for joining us today. And for those of you listening in, thank you for joining us as well. Be, for, be sure to follow All About Literacy on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We are Deb Van Dynan and Erica Hamilton, and we wish you beautiful adventures ahead as we all keep learning about literacy.